choosing this podcast for the BJSM community. I'm Daniel Friedman, and today I'm very excited to be welcoming back Dr. Tim Gabbett to speak about training load, injury, and performance. Tim holds a PhD in human physiology and has completed a second PhD in the applied science of professional football. He has over 20 years of experience working as an applied sports scientist with elite athletes, coaches, and high-performance teams from around the world. Tim, thank you for joining us again on the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Daniel. Could you start by sharing with our listeners a brief explanation of training load and its different components? Yeah, look, I think um, a, a really simple way to look at training load is that it involves the, the physical work that you do to either prepare for your event or um, carrying out your event. Um, so it could be the weight that you lift, the number of jumps that you perform, the, the distance that you run, and we call that external load. And it also includes internal load. Now, internal load is is either the physiological, the psychological, or, or the biomechanical response to that external work. So it could be your heart rate, it could be lactate, it could be your perception of effort, it could be it could be joint loads. So there's the two type of loads. And then the, the third thing to keep in mind is is that your your ability to handle load, your ability to tolerate load, is impacted by a whole heap of external factors, these health factors. It could be stress, it could be sleep, it could be lifestyle factors. So those are the three kind of things that we need to keep in mind when we're talking about training load. And how do all of these different metrics or measures that we use for training load interact with each other? I think I think the simple way to look at training load, you know, I guess it'd be it'd be really easy if we could say, well, you load more, you improve performance. But unfortunately, it's it's not that simple. In general, there's a relationship there between load and performance. But but there's a, a couple of intermediary steps. Um, the first is that load and load capacity are like a seesaw. So at any point in time, you'd like you'd like your load to be slightly higher than your capacity to handle load, and that that means that you're building building capacity. You need to, to have slightly higher load than capacity in order to get better. But the problem is if if you load too heavy or your load is much greater than what your current capacity can handle, that's when your athlete breaks. Now, it would be really simple to say that in order to improve capacity, all we need to do is load more. But it's it's not that simple as well because at any point in time, your capacity is influenced by health factors, things like um, sleep, if you have um, not enough sleep, then that can inf- impact on your health. If you have high levels of stress, then that can impact on your ability to handle load, your load capacity. So I, I see that health factor as being like a lever that you can pull back on or you can push forward on to change your capacity. So at any point in time, your your ability to handle load, your load capacity can change from day to day based on your health. So when we're when we're trying to improve performance, we need to understand that load needs to be higher than capacity, but we also need to to consider the interaction of health factors in there as well. That um, if someone's unhealthy, then we may not be able to load them as much as we'd like. Yeah, look, another way to, to look at uh, the relationship between load and capacity is through the use of acute and chronic loading. So if we look at, at training load as, as broken down into um, having a positive and a negative effect or a fitness and a fatigue effect, we can look at the fitness effect 
through the training we do over a longer period of time. And we call that chronic load. That is like our, our capacity to handle load. Um, and acute load is is the load at any given point in time over a shorter period of time. It could be one session to one week. Now, in order for us to get better, our acute load has to be higher than our chronic load. That's how we, we build capacity. But again, if our acute load is far too great, if that load greatly exceeds our capacity to handle load, that's that's when we put our, our athletes at risk of breaking. Um, so what we're talking about there is is a ratio of the two, acute and chronic load or the acute to chronic workload ratio. Is there a sweet spot or perhaps optimal load or ratio that clinicians and athletes should be aiming to achieve? Well, on average, yes, we can say there is. And the sweet spot on average is between so it was when you have very small fluctuations in load so when you have small increases and small decreases in load we would consider that a sweet spot because it's when your injury risk is at its lowest of course unless unless we we just consider um, the team as an average we're actually working with multiple cases of and then of one we're always trying to optimize performance for individual athletes so individuals will respond differently to the average and the simple the simple way that i can talk you through that in terms of stats is that stats being the way they are i can tell you what the majority of people will do the majority of time but i can't tell you what any single person will do at any single time so this is this is why it becomes um, a case of of knowing understanding the research in terms of averages and, and in terms of individual responses load in terms of athletes ability to handle load everyone responds differently to the extent the same external load and their ability to handle that same external load is going to be dependent on their individual health factors at any point in time so so the load that a single individual can handle at any point in time is going to change from day to day so that sweet spot is is always going to be it's always going to be just an average it's a point in time as we as we develop and as we adapt we hope that that training shifts that curve to the right um, so that we can handle more load at the same risk but if we detrain if we if we go into bed rest for a year then theoretically what would happen is that sweet spot could change and the curve shifts to the left meaning that the same load poses a greater risk. In one of your recent BJSM papers, you emphasise that the relationship between training, injury and performance is complex and multifactorial, and that, I guess in a nutshell, load does not explain all injuries. What are some of these modifying factors or moderators that do contribute to the overall injury relationship? Yeah, look, I, I felt I felt there was a need to to put that in there simply simply because there's a there's a greater emphasis on load and load monitoring now, and 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 definitely load is one of those big rocks that that helps you perform well, and when you get it right, it can it can reduce your risk of injury. So th- there is a link there between load injury and performance, but it's not it's not the only thing that can contribute to performance or contribute to injury. So. You know, I felt it was it was kind of necessary to put that out there just to remind people that there's there's a lot of other factors involved. Loaded is a big rock, but there's other things going on. And you know, equally, I think 
I think it's really easy to to just latch on to to um, what's an easy principle to understand, and and the acute chronic ratio basically describes progressive overload. It's it's a concept that a principle of training that we know about, but in terms of putting it in practice, it's it's not it's not as as well applied as it is in in the theoretical textbooks. So so there is a link there that if you load too quickly, that you might you might increase the risk of injury. But not all athletes break. There are there are some athletes that are robust, and there's some that are more fragile. Some can handle sharper increases in load, whereas some um, really can only handle small increases in load. So so then we need to work out well if it's not just about load what are those moderating factors and and some of the factors that we know about are age and and injury history we know that's important but we also know that that chronic load is important so so we wouldn't ever just focus on one variable to to monitor load whatever that variable is we we always try and use extra information so chronic load is important and we also know that strength and aerobic fitness are important to moderate that workload injury relationship. So whenever we're interpreting that kind of information, the load capacity data, we also need to take into account these those five moderating factors. So if we accept these moderating factors and understand that athletes with well-developed physical capabilities, such as strength or aerobic fitness, as you mentioned, are more robust against injury at higher training loads, we then have to consider the question, which is what I want to ask you, what comes first, the robust athlete or the high training load? <laughs> well, that's, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, you know, I wish I had the answer for you. Um, I, I, can, I can give you my, my thinking around it. At, at very, at very uh, young ages, we're, we're, we're born with some sort of structure-specific load capacity. Now, over time, that that load capacity or that structure-specific capacity has is associated with with some degree of physical qualities, and those physical qualities allow us to accept some some training load. And that that training load could be as simple as learning to to go from crawling to walking, and then from walking to jogging. Now, over time, that those structure-specific um, capacity improves along with those physical qualities, which allows us to handle more load. And eventually, the cycle um, goes around and around until we develop some sport-specific load capacity. So that's, that's an example of, of circular causation. That's, that's the chicken or egg question that we're trying to answer. And I, you know, I don't think that any, any group on their own will answer that. I don't think it's as simple as you just need to lift in order to get strong in order to handle load because we're not really talking about optimal loading if all we're doing is just lifting. Equally, just monitoring load might provide um, an indication of risk, but if you're not training, then you're not going to develop any any qualities that allow you to handle load. So you need to load in order to withstand load. So you need you need both of those groups, the, the strength and conditioning coaches and the sports scientists working together to to get an understanding of of optimal loading. The third group there is is the medical and the physical team, medical therapists, uh, medical and physical therapists, where those those practitioners are really good at identifying um, structure specific capacity and tissue tolerance. So 
now we're trying to integrate, we're integrating load, we're integrating the monitoring of load, but we're also integrating that health factor, some of those health factors that impact on someone's ability to handle load. So there's, there's kind of the structure-specific capacity leading into physical qualities, leading into training load, leading into sport-specific load capacity, and how the different members of the team interact to work together. I, I think that's how we go about developing the unbreakable athlete but if you if you ask me well is it easy i don't know i mean the more i the more i delve into the topic the more i i feel i learn about the topic and and the less i feel i know so i'm just um i'm working hard to try and it's it's kind of like the holy grail it's something that i want to be able to develop i'd love to be able to develop the the unbreakable unbreakable athlete and solve the problem but uh, there's no way I'm going to be able to do it on my own. I'm going to have to um, uh, work together with some, with some smart people to, to try and find the solution to it. So if we think about a clinical scenario in which an athlete has sustained an injury and their workload has decreased dramatically, how do you go about programming a baseline workload to begin the rehabilitation process? So how can a clinician determine where the athlete should start and then how that load should be progressed week to week? Okay, well, there's a, there's a, few, there's a few guidelines that we can use. And, and I say guidelines because the, these, can't be, these can't possibly be rules because all, all you've given me is two bits of information. You've given me an, an athlete, an injury. So you've, there's extra contextual information that you need in order to create that program. That's the first thing. Um, and... So there's, there's a few ideas. We can use the acute to chronic workload ratio. So if you know the chronic workload, then you can progress progress um, chronic load using increases in the acute chronic workload ratio to, to gradually build that athlete back to the, the ceiling that you want to prepare them for, whatever that is. Now, before we had that, we had the 10% rule. Now, the 10% rule is, is, again, is a guide because it'll vary from athlete to athlete. Some athletes can handle more, some athletes can handle less. But let's let's argue, let's say for argument's sake that that athlete who's injured is is a um, consistently runs 10 miles in a week or 10 kilometres in a week. Doesn't matter the metric. And we'll say for the last year he's consistently managed to to rack up. Um, 10 kilometer sessions in a, in a week. His chronic load is consistently at, at 10 kilometers. Now, if he gets injured and he's out for three weeks and we want to build that athlete back to 10 miles using a 10% rule, at the end of the third week of injury, his chronic load has dropped to two and a half kilometers or two and a half miles. So we've got to get him up to 10. That would take 15 weeks to get him back to 10 miles using the 10% rule. So you've got to work out, well, is 15 weeks a reasonable amount of time to get that athlete back? If if it's someone who has a chronic load of zero and has never run 10 miles in their life and they've been in bed rest uh, for the last five years, then 15 weeks is probably going to be too short to get them to 10 miles. You might need longer than that. But if you've got someone who has those moderating factors of a, a good training history over a long period of time, that they've got a quite a good injury history, they're relatively strong and relatively fit, then probably 10% increases from week to week is going to be too small. Taking 15 weeks to get that athlete from two and a half miles up to 10 miles is probably too conservative. You can probably 
increase a lot quicker. But if you just give me a certain amount of information, I can't tell you that. I'd have to know the athlete. It's a it's a case by case and an individual specific situation. But but again, you, what you're trying to do is use the research evidence and combine it with some clinical reasoning and a little bit of common sense to to come up with a program to help that athlete. And now, if we take it to the other extreme, how much sport or training or load is too much? Again, it'll it'll probably depend um, from from case to case. If if you're an NBA player and you're earning multiple multi million dollar contracts, then you you probably you have to play as much as you're required to play. And um, I can't tell you how if 82 games is too much across a season. Um, I know there's discussions um, around whether 82 games in a season is too much. Um, it could be too much for some of the players, but 82 games might be enough for, for some of those unbreakable guys. If we're talking about adolescence, um, I think that's probably a, a bigger issue is what we have in, in adolescence sport is a, a very high competition to, to training ratio where where some some young athletes will play three games in a week, but they'll, they'll train a, a third of that. So they, the amount of training time in, um, in preparation for that competition is, is the problem. So, so what we should be looking at there is trying to get the, the, the base looking more like the base of a pyramid and the competition more, looking more like the apex. But at the moment, for some athletes at that adolescent level, it's like an upside down pyramid where we've got a very, um, a very small base of training and then a very large competition window. Um, and, and that's, that's a problem when, when it comes to the senior level of the sport because it's kind of like the, unlo- the unknown load. We don't, we don't know really what a lot of our adolescents are doing. We don't capture it very well. And we get, we get very young athletes coming into professional sports, um, high-level high elite sports, and they're already um, suffering debilitating injuries. We, they've already... They're turning up to practice, and they've and they've got tendinopathies, and and we're and they're you know 18 years of age, so so trying to manage that a little bit better so that they can they can actually get to the pro system in the first place, so they don't break before we they get there, but also that when when they do get there, we actually give them a chance to succeed and have a long career. That's where I, I see we can make some great inroads uh, at the adolescent sport level. Before we let you go. Could you leave our listeners with three practical recommendations to consider in their practice? Yep. So the first is that I would recommend we load and load early. We want to we want to build to higher chronic loads. The second is that we want to prepare for the worst case scenario. If we only prepare prepare for the average demands, then it's highly likely we'll be underprepared for the most demanding passage of play. And the third is we want to get there as safely as possible. And the acute to chronic workload ratio, as well as these moderating factors, help us to to build to those high chronic workloads in a safe way. Tim, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, Daniel, for having me. Great to talk to you. If our listeners would like to find out more about you and your work, where should they go? Oh, look, you can find you find uh, papers everywhere, and um, 
we have some free free blogs on our website, gabbitperformance.com, and I, I'll post research on, on different social media as well. So it's a little signpost to, to go and read the full paper. You've been listening to a BJSM podcast with Dr. Tim Gabbitt. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends or leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow BJSM and stay up to date via the usual social media channels or download the BJSM app where you can find more podcasts, our latest articles and other content. As always, we hope you have a physically active day. Mm-hmm.